Okay, our text is Nahum chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Nahum chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. In a sermon I've titled, Eternal Futility. Now, the first one that says, Pastor, that sounds like one of your sermons, Eternal Futility. You'll have five years in purgatory, okay? So... Nahum chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. There we read, Draw thee waters for the siege, fortify thy strongholds, go into, uh, go into clay and tread the mortar, and make strong the brick kiln. There shall the fire devour thee, the sword shall cut thee off. It shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locust. Now shall we pray. Father, this is your word, and so we want to rightly divide it. As we've gone through this book of Nahum here on Sunday mornings, I pray that thy Holy Ghost, and since it was his word to give it to the prophet, we realize it's his word for us to have today. So as we hear it, Please, may the Holy Ghost do what I can't do, is give understanding into the depths of the truth of God's Word and understanding for their lives today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. As I was reading through these two passages, I couldn't help but to think of uh, two Old Testament passages. I read these two verses, should I say. And that they are found first in Psalms chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, where we read this, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves in array. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. And vex them in his sore displeasure. And then Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 30. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Now, men today will try to fortify themselves against the Lord. And many will make excuses for not getting saved. Many will make excuses as Christians as to why they live such worldly lives, and they'll seek to justify the lust and desires of the flesh. But those fortifications against God will prove to be futile in the day of judgment. So as we look to our text, I want you to first see, God tells these people of Nineveh to fortify the best they can because he's going to send an enemy against them. Verse 14 again said, Draw thee waters for the siege. Fortify thy strongholds. And the idea behind the idea of drawing the waters for the siege is that in that day, as Nineveh, uh, a good, well-defensed city had wide, huge, tall walls that you just didn't climb. You didn't penetrate. 
And, and so often what they would do, if there was waters flowing into the city, they would dam up the, the, the river or whatever it is to keep the waters from flowing in. They'd surround the city and try to starve them out, thirst them out, so to speak, so that they could not uh, escape. And so they would do that, and then all, they would guard it well for all the routes of escape that they might come out of. I, I think of in Second Kings chapter 20, the good king Hezekiah, how he built uh, conduits, uh, kind of like tunnels, underneath the ground to bring water in. And so he was able to sustain the city with water in, in that matter. But uh, God tells Nineveh to store up. Store up water for the siege. You're going to be attacked. Whatever you do, the Lord says, it's going to be insufficient to prevent the destruction. Now, why would the Lord say, do the best you can? You're not going to receive me. You're not going to walk with me. I'm coming after you. I want you to know that. So you better fortify yourself the best you can. Now, the Lord tells us that today. If you're not going to receive him as Savior, or is that, you're not going to get saved, you're not going to walk with him, then understand, he warns you of a coming day of judgment. And there's not many roads to heaven. Now, people preach that today and people say that today but there are not many roads to heaven so you better uh, either turn to the Lord with all your heart or just count on it that that day of judgment and destruction will come now I'm reminded of the rich man and Lazarus Lazarus lays at the rich man's gate full of sores and, and the rich man doesn't even want to give him the crumbs from his table. He wants the dogs to eat that. But they both die. And that's the point. <laughs> You're going to die. They both die. The rich man is in hell. Not because he was rich. He's in hell because he never received the Lord as his Savior. Okay. He didn't turn to that one and only Savior. So... Although he fared well in this lifetime, he died and went to hell. We find that Lazarus, though, even though as poor as he was throughout this lifetime, he is there laying in Abraham's bosom. Now, evidently, he can see us Lazarus, but he cannot see the condition of Lazarus. But even if he thought that Lazarus was still full of sores, he says, let him put his finger in water and come over and touch my tongue because I'm tormented. I'm tormented in this flame. And what he found out, that in hell there was no power, no wisdom, no strength that could deliver him in hell. And that is true for everyone, even his prayer to say, please let somebody be sent from here, from at least paradise, from the dead, to go and warn my brothers. And he says, no, they won't believe it even if one rose from the dead, and one did raise from the dead, and they still don't believe. You see, hell is a place of no hope. I've heard people say, well, if I go to hell, we're going to have a big party there because all my buddies are going to be there too. Well, that big party's not going to happen. Nineveh will be in derision during their battle. 
as the people, when Jesus returns, are going to be in derision. As they try to form an army against him, as they see him appearing in the clouds, Revelation chapter 19 warns us. And yet, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 9 and verse 28, that he'll make a short work of it. God will make a short work when he does his work in judgment. So our text again says in verse 14, Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. Okay, he's not only told them to store up water. It won't do it. But now build bricks with these great walls you have. Make bricks and even make it stronger than it's ever been. Go ahead. Fortify the walls with bricks. Mix the clay, the mortar, and the heat, and so forth, and harden it, and, and fortify your walls. If you're going to reject God, if you're going to reject Him, He says, think ahead. Figure out what you're going to do. And that's what we have to do. So we've got to figure out, if you're going to try to this life without the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to live according to his word. You're not going to receive him as your savior. You better figure out how are you going to cope with eternity in a lake of fire. Proverbs 29.1 says, He that hardeneth his neck, he that continually hardeneth his neck. <laughs> Sounds like he had more than one warning, didn't he? He that continually hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. Dead with no hope in that eternal lake. Nineveh was the strongest place of their day. It's the capital of the Assyrian kingdom. And they are the very strong place, the very stronghold of the Assyrian kingdom. But God is going to move against them. And all their scientific know-how... All their great weapons of war, all their political correctness and philosophy will mean only one thing, that it would be one billion times easier to sink a huge modern day battleship with a straw and a paper wad blown through that straw. It would be much easier to sink that battleship with that one little straw and paper wad than it will be to defeat God. To stop him when he moves in judgment. God is sovereign. He will never be dethroned. And by the way, Satan tried it. He said, I will ascend into the heavens. I will set my throne above the most high. But he was cast down. He tried it. And there is no other angel, even Michael the archangel, when he was contending with Satan, had to say, the Lord rebuke thee. He couldn't do it in his own power. Satan had a greater power than he did. And you must remember as well, in an hour when you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Some have estimated that there were probably 60,000 people in Nineveh that day. I don't know how they came up with that number, but that's what they say. Maybe they take from the day of Jonah. I don't know. But they are warned. You know, isn't it interesting when, I remember my dad telling me of times when they were in World War II, they'd see these planes fly over. 
and they would drop leaflets to let those towns there in Germany and so forth where they were stationed that they were going to bomb them. I understand that Israel does that. As a matter of fact, Gaza with all these bombs have been dropping there. But they usually drop leaflets to let the people know we're coming so that the women and children can at least find shelter. And then they bomb them. But they warned them ahead of time. And God warns ahead of time that he's coming and he's coming in judgment. In Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 through 21 that I referred to just a few moments ago. There's Jesus on the white horse. The heavens are rolled back as a scroll. The armies are sitting there behind him. And an angel calls out to the fowls of the heaven. Says come. Gather yourselves here. That you may be filled with the blood of, of mighty men, of kings, the rich, the poor. Why? Because Jesus is coming and they've rebelled. As a matter of fact, where it says be filled, the, the actual Greek word has the idea of to gorge yourself. The birds of the air will be gorged. There will be so much of it. The blood will flow to the horse's bridle, the Bible tells us. In Revelation chapter 6, it lets us know that same time of the great men and all kinds of men trying to hide themselves in caves and in mountains and, and they actually pray to the caves, pray to the mountains, to the rocks. And why people still pray to idols today. So they're doing that and praying for them to fall on them, to keep them from the wrath. Now I like the way the Bible says it in Revelation 6. From the wrath of the Lamb. You know... I'm not going to go there, man. That's a lamb. That lamb might be mad. No, nobody says that today. Lambs are not thought of as a ferocious animal, but the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen, and now he's coming. Well, Nineveh shows the modern-day philosophy of let's be down on men, and we find that in verse 13, as we said last week about uh, the women in, in charge there. But the men have hidden. As a matter of fact, the men have fled. And the women of Nineveh will be ravished. Their children will be dashed in pieces. But you know what? There's coming a day near the end of the tribulation hour that's going to hit this earth. Where that same thing is going to be happening near Jerusalem. At Jerusalem. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2, it says, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Isn't it interesting? It's, it's interesting that in what we call today a civilized, dignified, educated society. This is how they act. This is how they act. You know what? I'm tired of people talking about, well, you, you fundamental Bible believers, you just aren't tolerant. Oh, yes, we are. We just stand on what we believe, but we're tolerant. The ones that aren't tolerant, when they take over, they want to kill you. They want to diminish you. 
They want to get you out. We don't try to kill people. We try to change their lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nineveh was warned. Just as they are today and as we are today. In Acts chapter 17 verses 30 and 31 we read this. In the times of this ignorance God winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Uh, did, did you get that? It's God that commands. It's not Central Baptist Church. It's God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men. In that he hath raised him from the dead. Just like Nineveh, God warns he's coming again and he's going to judge. And he's going to judge in righteousness. You know, isn't it interesting that the word of God is... A word written that really, it's, it's righteous. It's a righteous word. Uh, he told Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 22, uh, 25, This shall be your righteousness to obey, what? The commands that he had given to Moses to give to the people. Righteousness is that the Word of God is absolutely right, it's without error, therefore, our obedience to it is very important. And it's our righteousness. The Word of God itself is righteous, but it's our righteousness is only in our obedience to that Word. Now, in that case then, if we're going to be obedient to the Word, that'll be our righteousness. The Lord is going to come and judge how? In righteousness. That's why in John chapter 12 verse 48. The Lord Jesus said. That you would be judged by the words that he has spoken. Now you think about that. It's coming. Deny it. Ignore it. Do everything religious but to receive Christ as your savior. You'll still end up in hell. All fortifications against God, as strong as they may be to the minds and ways of man, are futile. And so verse 15 of our text says, There shall the fire devour thee, the sword shall cut thee off, it shall eat thee up like the canker worm, and make thyself many as the canker worm, and make thyself many as the locust. The fire devours. The sword cuts off. Again, it's very interesting that in Nineveh, the men had fled. They left the women to fend for themselves. But whether it's a man or a woman, in hell, they're by themselves. There's no defense. They're in the very place and punishment that God places them. Not because I say so, but the Bible tells me so. In hell, Satan can't help you. Because hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is so bad that it torments super spirits like Satan and his angels. 
That's the place called hell where there's no ceasing to exist. There's no escape. I think of that place and I think of the man at Gennesaret that had a legion of angels, of of devils in him. And as Christ goes to cast out the, the legion of devils, those devils plead with him. Don't send us there before the time. Let us go into that herd of swine. Now look, those devils would probably hate swine. But they'd rather rather dwell in swine than in the place where they'll be eternally tormented. But isn't it interesting that swine are even smarter than we are? They ran drowned themselves. They didn't want to have anything to do with the devils. I think of the days of Noah before the flood. He preaches 120 years. And we know that his family saved. There's eight, and there probably were some others that got saved and then died. But the day that he gets on the ark, there's evidently only eight saved people. I don't know how many people got saved in his ministry. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But this we know that he was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible tells us. And people may have mocked him. They may not have liked him. Noah was not a popular person. In the world's terms, he wasn't famous. He was infamous in that day. Jeremiah, they would put him in stocks. They'd put him in dungeons. They would beat him. They would do all kinds of things to him because he was preaching of coming judgment and of sin and their need to repent. They preached that before their captivity and calling the people to repent. And you know, God always warns before he judges. The failure of Nineveh was not their lack of power of persuasion. That is the power of the persuasion of the prophets. It was their hardened heart. Every one of us will give an account of himself unto God. I can stand up here and preach the word. I can preach what I've preached today and stand up here and say, now, you need to be saved. There is a hell. and You know, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And just say everything I've just said in that voice. You say, well, that's not booming out and that's not, uh, that's not a preacher voice. It may not be. I, I don't know what a preacher's voice is. I grew up in a preacher's home. So I've been around preaching all my life. But what I'm saying is is this, that whether a guy has this great powerful delivery or has no delivery at all, but he preaches the word, the power is in the word, not the preacher. And there's still a responsibility of the individual to respond. I believe the Lord gives men different gifts just for that reason. The power is in the word. The responsibility is in the heart to respond. A hardened heart hates preaching that names sin and the calls to repent. They say, well, you should, I, look, I get emails all the time. You shouldn't preach against homosexuality. Look, we've had homosexuals in our church that got saved and their lives changed. 
He said, who are they? You come up and see me in heaven, I'll tell you. You can probably talk to them, they'll probably tell you too. There's more joy for people to gossip about someone in homosexuality than there is to see them get saved. What a filthy mind, what a filthy person, what a filthy individual that has that heart. That is low down. God can save and he can cleanse. And what God has cleansed, call it not common, run clean. My friend, let me tell you this about that hardened heart too. One second after death, it's too late. The fires of hell will devour. That is, they devour your hope. They devour your chance of escape. They devour your ability to cease to exist. It devours answers to prayers because even as a rich man, prayer is not answered. The sword of God's word shows that the man in hell has his hope cut off. And that same man who said, I am tormented in this flame. I believe that, that is a true story. That happened over 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years later, that man is still tormented in the flame. And Lazarus is still with Abraham's bosom in paradise. Up in paradise. I don't know about you, but I think uh, when I compare 70 years to 2,000 years, I think I know who came out better than that deal, don't you? One thing that the man in hell will have in common with God. You say, you mean somebody has something in common in hell with God? Oh, yeah. See, we were made in God's image, and God is a spirit. A spirit doesn't cease to exist. That spirit of that man, no matter what kind of a body he's clothed in in hell, will forever, ever live in eternal fire and torment. Not because I say so, but because the Bible tells us so. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian uh, host and armies. It's nation, but it's destroyed. My friend, when God comes back, there is no nation, there's no power, there are no weapons, there's nothing that will restrain him from coming and accomplishing everything that he said he would do. I think one of the great torments of hell, and I, I believe there the pains and all that, and we've preached sermons on hell about the pains and the flames and the other things and the torments. But I think one of the torments there is that you're forever separated from God's grace and presence. Never again. Do you realize that if you die without Jesus Christ, you'll go to the place called hell? And that's where the rich man was. He was in fire and torment. But that's not the final place for them. The final place is the lake of fire. Now, I don't know what that is uh, compared, but it's probably something like this. Jail, maximum security 
isolation prison. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Death does not mean ceasing to exist. It means separation. Your spirit is separated from this body. And one day that spirit, the second death, is forever separated from God with no opportunity to be saved from that point. The fire shall eat thee up as the canker worm. Cut off. Burn. Tells me a couple things. The canker worm ate food just like the locusts would eat the vegetation and so forth. They destroyed the food. The fire burns. I don't know what kind of a body that the Lord puts those people in when they go to hell. But it's still able to desire water. It's still feels the flame and the torments, but it doesn't consume, it doesn't cease to exist. The worm dieth not, the Bible says. There's a desire for water, but there's no water. There's a desire for food, but there's no food. I believe that the guy that uh, is a drug addict, that died a drug addict, will still desire drugs. I think the alcoholic will still desire alcohol. It just won't be there for him. And unfortunately, man will find that death did not end it all. When he dies without Christ, it only made it worse. You know, if you're saved, you can be saved and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or you can be saved so as by fire. I remember a lady in my first church that, that I pastored up in Cantonment. Their house caught fire, burnt to the ground, and lost everything. And as I talked to her, and of course she did the normal things, you know, at least you got yourselves, you got your child, blah, 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 you know. And those, those are a comfort. But she said, you know, there are pictures, there are artifacts, there are other things left from my family, from my family parents and from their parents and so forth, things that have been around for years that are completely gone. There's no monies that can buy those things back. There's nothing can restore those. They cannot be recovered. For a Christian, you die in a backslid condition, you'll go to heaven. There's no doubt about that. God promises us that. But saved so as by fire, the Bible does let us know that we'll count the loss, the rewards that you could have had. You say, well, maybe I'll earn them up. No. They come in this life. They're laid up. And you count the loss. Just like the lady with the fire. But perhaps one of the torments of hell is just like the rich man. When he was told, son, remember. And here you are sitting in church today, and you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, and the pastor gives an invitation to come and let someone open the Bible and show you how you can know that if you died today that heaven's your home, you have that opportunity to do that. And that'll come right back into your mind, come right back before your face, it'll come right back into your ears, and over and over and over again you'll hear, 
Won't you come and receive Christ as your Savior? He died for you. He was buried. He rose from the dead. Turn from your sin. Turn from yourself. Turn to Jesus Christ. Give him your heart and life. And you laughed. You turned from it. You said, oh, I believe it, but not now. Not now. Planning to die at midnight. You died at 1130. It was too late. You'll be in forever futility because you can do nothing about it. Let's bow our heads, please.